dear. It's, it's too early in the morning to be talking about myself. <laughs> um, my name is Anthony Severino. I'm from um, the northwest of Sydney. I grew up in the Bible Belt um, in West Pennant Hills. I'm 25 years of age. Um, what do I do? Um, I went to drama school, and so I call myself an actor. I'm like a theatre maker, performer. I'm also a drag queen. I'm also a bartender. I also write a little bit. Um, I think in Sydney you have to like diversify your skills. So I call myself a slashy. So it's like slash, slash, slash. That's all the things that we do. Yeah. Mm. Well, my parents were um, like the classic ethnic parents. Like my myself and my mother were born here. Um, and my father and my sister were born overseas because my parents did some traveling to and from Australia. Um, growing up, it was fine. It was very boring. Um, I say boring. The place was boring. Nothing happens in West Pennant Hills. It's very like nice, conservative, like two and a half children, three cars, big mansions. Um, and I always thought we were like really, really like poor, but it turned out that it was actually quite a middle class. Like we were fine. But like my, it's funny because my dad's attitude towards like money and saving and everything was like very frugal Italian, had nothing, came from a like very poor Italian like farming life in the south of Italy and brought that attitude towards, uh, into like Sydney, into our like life in Sydney in this beautiful house that I was like, oh God, we're destitute, we have to scrimp and save and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of reflected in my attitude towards money now, which is, it's just the opposite. So I'm just like, if I like something, fuck it, I just buy it. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, great, excellent. Um, but yeah, I, had a sis I have a sister. She's great. We're good friends. Um, she's older than me. Um, but I kind of feel like her older brother sometimes just because I feel like care and like responsibility towards like what she does. Not responsibility, but like a certain kind of, I don't know, brotherly. What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, this is some kind of bullshit male chauvinistic shit as well. Yeah. Sorry, Eloise. We fought heaps. Um, I came out when I was 16 and um, she always, like, she knew. Mum and dad were like, what? I had no idea, which was cute as. Um, so she, like, uh, when I came out, when I told her, like, almost about six months after I told mum and dad, um, she was like, yeah, I always knew. And then it was, like, really cute kind of sibling bonding moment from there up. And, like, we kind of shared some deeper stuff from there on in. And then it's just kind of, yeah. Where I went to school, I had a really good, like, um, arts department, a really good, like, drama and music department. So I spent a lot of time um, in those, like, buildings in lunch and in recess and, like, after school and before school. So, like, not spending time in the playground necessarily socialising, but spending time with, like, my peers or, like, friends or by myself or with... Actually, with a lot of older people, like, a lot of older kids or even just the drama teachers as well. Like, we called each other, like... We used it, um, their first names a lot, like when we were seniors as well, like we spent lunch in the staff room just like talking shit and just being with them. So I spent a lot of time doing like drama and, pardon me, oh, I spent a lot of time doing drama and extracurricular like theatre. I did um, like amateur musicals, um, which were awful, in, the, um, in, in Hornsby. Um, yeah, it was just like amateur musical theatre society for like kind of like 12 to like 16 18 25 year olds to like just get up and sing and dance and meet and mingle and have fun and 
be creative, which is good, I suppose. I met a lot of, I actually met a lot of my friends now there and it solidified a lot of kind of early um, parts of my creative life there, you know, knowing that I don't necessarily want to go into musical theatre, but I like the arts and I like the family aspect of it. They're very like family oriented. Um, I think when you're European, it's such a heavy focus on family and like um, your, you know, your grandmother, your aunts and uncles, you're always over, you're always visiting, there's always food, there's always like sharing and cooking and everything. So I think the family aspect of like theatre and like um, when you go into a show and you like, you meet people, you spend a month or a bit more with them in rehearsal and then you go into like a show run, you do create a family which is really beautiful. Um, and then you leave and you never see them again. You're never in the same room again, but I really like that kind of family aspect. I think that's why it worked with my like cultural heritage kind of um, being so family based. Just recently in the last like two weeks, we've opened a new show at the Imperial in Erskineville. And in the last two weeks, I've never experienced such a flip from being extremely confident to extremely self-doubting and like going between the two at like rapid speeds all day, all like all night, whatever. And so it's really nice to know that when you do reflect and when you do look back on, you know, why you do stuff that it is important for us to tell our stories, even if we just turn up and did a job. The self-doubt, self-confidence thing, I think you fluctuate a lot between that because you compare yourself to other people, which uh, I think I had a director that said comparison is the death of creativity. Because when you start comparing yourself to people, you actually stop like being authentic and you, start measuring yourself by other people, which is not useful, especially when you're creating work. I also had another director that said, stop directing and acting at the same time. You act, I'll direct. And I was like, cool. Cause in my brain, I'm doing the thing, but as I'm doing the thing, I'm like saying, oh fuck, what if I do it this way? Or I should do it this way. Instead of like playing it, trying it, getting it wrong. The whole fear of failure thing. Um, yeah, comparison. You don't, I don't think you should compare yourself. You should just be steadfast in what your values are and go towards whatever is most authentic and whatever is most your story, especially if you're creating art or creating anything. Um, I've been doing, like I did drag socially a couple of years ago with some friends um, and we just go out and be dickheads, which is great and so much fun and people always come up to you, oh my God, you look beautiful, blah, 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 blah. Um, totally narcissistic, whatever. Um, it's great, it's excellent, do it. But then I went to drama school and then after drama school, I was like, I started doing a competition, like just like a weekly competition, turn up, do a couple numbers or just do one number. And then if they liked you first, second, third, you win a hundred bucks, win 50 bucks, whatever. And I started winning and I started like remembering how much fun it is and how good I was at it, humble brag. And then I was like, I went to the manager at the Imperial. Oh, he, no, he came to me and he asked me if I wanted to do like a gig there. And I was like, sure. And then, so I started in 2018, my first like paid drag gig at the Imperial. And since then I've been um, there regularly doing like, um, like the kind of dinner theater show, Dragon Dine, it's called. Um, and since then I've seen my, like obviously my makeup change, my style change, my opinions about what works and what doesn't also changes um, just like you know when you are building any skill I have a beard currently and I have a beard in the show in the Priscilla show 
And I said to the director, I was like, do you mind if I keep it? And she was like, no, keep it. Just make sure it works with the costumes and it looks stylistically appropriate. And I was like, sure, sure, sure. Because I would always shave for like my usual um, weekly uh, lunchtime gigs or whatever. And um, this time around, coming out of isolation, going into the show, I was like, actually, you know what? Fuck it. I'm me. I'm really hairy. I'm like, my drag name is Peach Fuzz. Um, on Instagram, it's Peachy Queen. Thank you with a KW. Um, so I was just like, it's in the name and it's who I am. And I'm just going to keep it and like be a. This sounds so wanky to say, and this is another this is another Australian thing. The whole like I don't want to be a wanker, tall poppy thing. We'll get into that later. Ugh, fucking hell. Um, being a voice for a different story, like physically being a different body, and like all these other drag queens who are in the show who are like beautiful and like stunning and you know stand up in their own right. I was like, actually, it's, I'm gonna be a voice for you know, a hairy drag queen or like a, a European person or like, you know, just a different body in that space just also allows me to be a different kind of drag queen who's not necessarily, you know, my drag's not necessarily concerned with being um, feminine and passing, even though that's quite, that can be quite problematic. Um, passing is female. What is female? What is male? Whatever. I guess that's why we're here to talk about it. Um, I'm very camp and I'm very funny and I'm very like, um, stupid my drag is stupid that's funny stupid and it like breaks down that barrier of reverence between people and like oh my god you're so beautiful like I have this number where I built a, a headpiece out of Lego and I got like frisbees with like the rings like the whole the whole out of it like it's just like a ring like, like a ring toss do you have a ring toss like coits and I get people to throw the ring like the frisbees onto the headpiece and try and get one up like I'm just stupid like it's just ridiculous and pointless and that's excellent because it breaks down that barrier and it gets people out of their seats and it gets people moving and engaging and doing things that like a nine to five who works in an advertising job wouldn't do on a like on a weekday and that's my job which is excellent so I think like having the beard and having a different voice allows me a certain freedom to do different things in drag which I find interesting I also really like clowning like in drama school I did a lot of clowning I really liked it because it's like, it just gets rid of that like daily life reverence where you have to like look at your phone and get on the train and be all that. It's just boring. If you actually look inside yourself and align yourself with what you authentically are, there is female energy inside everyone. There's male energy inside everyone. So my drag, I don't see as a, necessarily a character. I see as the female energy in my body and my mind coming out. Whenever I'm on the mic, I'm always like, oh, I'm the crazy auntie at the party who never shuts up. So get the, like, turn the music on and take the microphone away from me because I won't stop talking. Um, my like female um, influences in my life, I grew up with lo lots of British comedy. So like Ab Fab, um, Steptoe and Son, Are You Being Served, Mrs. Slocum and a Pussy. It's all very like hee hee hee. And also like the females in my life were always very caring and always very, we had nothing, so we'll give you everything. Like my mum's just like the most caring, like big Italian mama in the world, curly hair, like soft, beautiful features, um, such a lovely human being. And she was just so nurturing there for me. Like she would always be like, tell me anything, tell me everything. She was a nurse, she was a midwife. So it was always like periods and vaginas and blood and like erections and everything. We talked about everything in the house. Um, 
so that was really helpful and nurturing and I can see how it's had an effect on me later in life being so open to talk about this stuff being unafraid to lean into difficult and like challenging and weird and gross and embarrassing conversations um, which I'll often bring up on the microphone in drag the first thing I said to the people sitting down in the sitting on Saturday I was like awkward question who stands up to pee and I just got everyone to raise their hands up and then I kept bringing it up over the night just stupid shit like that like um I'm on the microphone a lot and I'm like quite, I'm quite a writer improvisation and quite like a writer, like getting everyone on the same page in the same room. But sometimes it's hard because people don't want to debase themselves. People don't want to come down to down or up or come to the same energy in the room. They'll kind of just stay in their little comfortable little seat and they won't move from that. So then you, you as an entertainer are trying to like pull them out of their place in everyday life and be like, come just to this room for a minute, be present, come here. And they'll just sit there. And then that'll be the table that you just fucking avoid the whole night because you're like, I've tried. I'm going to go to these people who are having a good time and drinking. I'm not sure. I think it's a natural, probably just a natural sensibility of mine. I, like, I watch, I look, observe. I'm very observant. And like, um, I think as an actor as well, um, it's a skill that I've uh, honed because you have to. You have to look at people's idiosyncrasies. You have to watch how people walk, how people hold themselves, how comfortable or uncomfortable they are in certain scenarios. So going to drama school when they're telling us, um, this is what you do. Now, this is how you're going to do this. This is what you're going to change to be this character or whatever. Kind of building a character profile or you know, even early stages of drama school where they broke down human behavior. I don't want to say break you down to build you up again because that's not what happened. It was just like a breaking down of your habits and becoming more aware of what you do and then working over the course of the three years to kind of almost become a better human or like notice what you do and try and change how you do certain things to get more in line with your career path. Not saying changing who you are, but understanding and gaining an awareness of what you do and your habits and your idiosyncrasies so you can be a effective communicator, which is what an actor is, an effective communicator, someone who tells stories. I've been really fortunate in my life in the last couple of years to meet and to become really close friends with a couple of really beautiful trans people and having dialogue, regular dialogue with all of them has really opened my mind up to gender and sex and um, gender identity and separating genitalia from gender identity and separating sex from gender because they're not the same sexuality from gender which is so funny because when I was like 18, 19, 20 I kind of just lumped them in and never gave it any other thought but sex and gender sexuality and gender are not the same they're very interwoven but they're not I guess they're kind of different chapters of the same book and um, it's, just, yeah, it's just nice to question it it's nice to actually get that little acupuncture needle and just put it in the pressure point and going, what are we actually talking about here? What are we dealing with? Who is this? Why, why do some people shy away from it and why do other people lean into it? You know? Like, why is there so, why is there so much reverence around sex? Why can't you laugh during... I love when people laugh during sex. It's funny. You're literally throwing your, like, fleshy bodies at each other hoping to make some kind of beautiful feeling. 
And so I think when you take away societal preconceptions of what one person's gender should be, you actually open up a whole different world of pleasure and a whole different world of like beauty and like kindness and love. And when you stop seeing people as binary genders, binary ones and zeros, yeses and nos, ticker box, this society is so ticker box, like, subscribe, yes, no, do you agree, yes, like not even reading the terms and conditions, yes, I agree, whatever, move on, next, tick a different box. So boring, there's so much more shades of grey. And I think it's just more interesting. Um, the direction of my um, creative career, I guess I would like to go into, it's so funny because I have always seen myself as a theatre person and always seen myself a little bit more larger than film, but all of the work that I've done in the last year and a half has been largely film because there's more work, it's just a logistical thing. Like I'm sitting in front of a camera now, it's just easier. You can sit in a room with one person, film something, put it on the internet. Theatre takes a lot more time, space, money, energy, and when there's a pandemic, you can't do it. Um, so. Yeah, we, I filmed um, I filmed a couple of episodes of my friend's YouTube series. We did um, one on um, flagging and we did one, uh, the hanky code, flagging. We did one on Polari, which is like a gay, if you know what a Polari is, it's like a gay comedy rhyming slang that came out of the 19-somethings. And um, we're doing one on like queer women fashion, so like carabiners and like all of that jazz. So that was good to do over isolation, but um, I guess I see myself, I would like to see myself as a theater actor because I really like um, talking about energy and talking about like energy exchange, energy cannot be destroyed, it's only transferred. Um, when I'm entertaining a crowd in, of people in drag on the microphone, it's very similar to when I'm acting on stage in a theater, slightly more reverent in a theater, it can be the same level of irreverence, but um, I really like that energy carrying across the room to people. Like what I'm doing, the words that I'm saying, the way that I'm expressing them and using my vulnerability, vulnerability um, is creating a dialogue, is affecting people. People will go home and maybe not repeat a habit because they've seen it on stage and that's made them aware of what they do. Because, you know, Gail Edwards said to me once, people go to the theatre to see people do what they're too afraid to do in daily life like divorce their husband, kill someone, jump off a building, say I love you. Like, that's just so fantastic to me. And like, I wanna do that to people. I wanna have a large scale effect on people and tell the stories that I wanna be a part of to a whole group of people. And you can do that in film, but I recently came out, I have Tourette's, a very mild form of Tourette's. And so on film, when I first started doing film in um, drama school, the first class that we had, Keep in mind, I hadn't told anyone at drama school because I didn't want to be that Tourette's actor. Um, I saw myself on film and my acting teacher, Pip, she was like, you're just doing this thing with your eyebrow and this, that, and the other. And it was like, it was fine. She was just making everyone aware of their own habits. And I just saw it and I just bawled my eyes out and I went to the bathroom and cried. It's like, I'm never going to be a film actor. It was really confronting. I was like, I was scared to do film for a while. And then... Over the last two years of drama school, when we did most of the film work, I worked really hard to kind of look normal and to like breathe out all of the ticks that would come in my everyday life, um, which is fine. And it's not like a shame thing. It's just a, you have to be an actor. This character doesn't have Tourette, so you have to do this this way. Um, and also funny thing that when you concentrate on when a person with Tourette's 
does something where they enter a flow state where they have to really concentrate and be really in something you don't tick as much or at all so the arts has always been a really beautiful savior for me because that's mean a place to escape escape the the condition that i didn't know anything about when i was in high school the condition that i'm learning more about actually now because i'm going through a process of seeking help and seeking um like uh, government funding so i can like release the tension that is building up in my everyday life in my chest and my neck so i can be available to act and i can be um, a person that doesn't develop and have chronic shoulder neck hand eye anything fatigue or you know disease or whatever um therapy for my creativity therapy for my creativity is just beautiful that's yeah. actually a really beautiful thing and like so many people do like use music for therapy music, you know, people will say oh my god like they'll meet an artist that they love and they say you got me through my breakup or you got me off the edge of a cliff you know so like it just gives me the shits when like people don't see how beautiful and how good the arts is because it just it's not money and it's not as quanti it's quite it's quantifiable but like energy and like art the arts isn't as like tangible sometimes because we're talking about big ideas and we're talking about like things that actually change people things that are hard things that are analog things that take time and because you can't tick a box and like you know sell it necessarily as well as you can sell this ring light on ebay it's not as looked upon it's not as like valued in society oh fuck theater i've got to go and like i've got to get dressed i've got to get on the train I've got to go to circular key I've got to go to sydney theater company I've got to pay 90 dollars for a ticket turn around and see all these old people in the audience because that's the only people the only people that can afford it if you go to a sydney theater company show this is just the facts of life you sit in the front row you turn around and you won't see anyone under 40 because it's really expensive and so it should be because we need to get paid we should get paid for our art but it divides people and it creates this like separation in people going i can't afford this so i can't like go i can't be in i can't be inspired by this show because i can't actually afford it because i'm paying four hundred dollars a week rent in a crappy one bedroom studio in darlinghurst and these are my priorities so um, this is why I really value lots of the independent theatres in Sydney because they do so much too. And Sydney Theatre Company does, does, does it as well, 30 under 30. Like they do all these programs to try and get young people in because we're the future. We're going to be the ones that are going to go in the future. We're going to be the ones that keep stuff alive. Like down the road, we're recording in Darlinghurst. Down the road in Wormaloo, there's the Old Fitz, beautiful theatre. Pub, great food, little black box theatre cheap ass tickets some of the best theater you'll ever see in, th in sydney even better i would dare say than like stc stuff like um go to belvoir in surrey hills same deal um and then the griffin in um the cross like these are the spaces that i guess i want to go and work at theater is whether you like it or not whether you go and see it or not or you're getting dragged by your spouse or you go voluntarily by yourself theater makes you think and theater makes you investigate things because you you sit on stage and you watch um othello or hamlet or anything you're going to see stuff that you won't see on netflix you're going to see live humans doing live human things making mistakes creating another kind of chemical reaction in your body 
Because when you go to the theatre, right, if it's good theatre, you do this, or you do this, you brace, or you, like, you sit back and you laugh. You know it's good theatre if you turn around and watch the audience, like, actually move together, and, like, you can actually see waves like going in and out of the theater like you can see waves of bodies because people like end up scrunching up their bodies when they're watching something really cringe where they're like oh god what the fuck is gonna happen no but like you don't really do that like i mean some movies you do and sitting in your bed watching netflix you can do that but i don't know i think because there's something live about it like i'm sitting here talking to you even though there's a camera in between us like there's a different energy here than if it was just a screen and it's so funny because we were talking about this about the priscilla show that i'm doing People are not sure at the moment how to engage because they're not watching through a screen. I think because the last like three, four months has been at home, in a screen environment, safe. People are not sure how to like reach past the screen and engage. And when we go out into the audience, we're like trying to respect people's space and social distance. But like if I'm standing there and clapping in beat with the song and you're just sitting there looking at me, fucking clap like get involved <laughs> you know what I mean it's like it's safe it's fun but I think people are actually starting to be a little bit like reticent and a bit like um scared of engaging or like just forgetting how to but I said at the start of when we had to lock down and everything I was like I'm excited for the kind of renaissance that will happen afterwards because all the good stuff comes out of like um bedrooms like all the sexy stuff happens in bedrooms all the like kids writing plays or they're like everything happens in an artist's life in like a tiny safe space where you feel like you can be your most authentic self and you go, I have this idea I'm just going to write it down I'm going to draw I'm going to paint I'm going to do something so we've had all this time to let go away and I'm excited for what's going to come out of that in a creative way if you and even if you haven't done anything which is valid as an artist if you haven't done anything in isolation that's also valid don't worry about it it's going to be, it, was, it would have been a great time of reflection or rest and relaxation, which is paramount for creating art as well. You need, to be, you need to be rested and you need to be relaxed and available and open for art. So if you did nothing in isolation as an artist, fabulous. That's doing the job as well. There's a really good comedy special on Netflix, yes, but it's a live, it's a live show. Um, it's a comedi- Scottish comedian named Daniel Sloss and it's called Jigsaw. Go and fucking watch it because he basically debunks that whole um, notion that if you don't have a partner there's something wrong with you if you don't have a relationship there's something wrong with you the whole like it's disney disney done it and hollywood has done it i swear it's true every prince has a princess every like dewy-eyed schoolgirl with like bad glasses and bad hair by the end of the movie has a beautiful haircut wearing contacts and has a boy it's bullshit it doesn't it's not real it doesn't exist there's so many different ways to skin that cat you know and talking we were talking before about gender and sex identity and stuff it's just like you know some people don't feel comfortable being in a relationship. Some people don't feel comfortable having casual sex. A friend of mine said to me, I actually don't have sex other than people I'm, you know, I don't have casual sex, I, like a gay male. I don't have casual sex unless I'm actually romantically invested in someone. And I was like, I would never have sex <laughs> if that was me personally. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's not true. You can totally just fill up your own cup. And it's a really good point. It's a really nice visual, like, if your cup isn't full, how are you going to give it to anyone else? Like your cup has to overflow and the overflow is what goes to everyone else. But if you're not like nourishing yourself, how can you possibly give yourself to someone else? How can you possibly give enough to the world to do what your job is or to create art or do whatever you want to do? Um, 
yeah, Jigsaw. It's a good one. He's really funny and he's quite attractive. Yeah, he's got nice hands. I do love romance. Like, I, I'm such a romantic. I'm such a, like, oh, my God. But, um... Everyone has their own stories. Yeah, exactly. Everyone has their own stories and now I'm realizing that like the form of romance that will come in my life is probably going to be very different, a very alternative to your average Joe, nine to five. I'm too busy. My schedule's fucked. I'm like spitting four freelance plates. Actor, drag queen, bartender, human. It's a lot. Spinning plates. <laughs> so we came together today to talk about what it means to be a man. And I think, for me, if you change the word man to human, um, it's, it sounds more holistic and it sounds more grounded because what it means to be a human is it means to know who you are and to be more authentic and be the most you you can be. Um, my friend, a good friend of mine, was worried about not fitting into the queer scene because they're alternative and they're like, don't have a lot of queer friends and they're not like, you know, not seeing people like them in the scene. And I was just like, don't worry about not fitting in. Just worry about trying to be as you as you can be and then people will find you. The right people will find you. We're very attracted to confidence as a human race. Someone's confident and you're like, there's that awful line from Will and Grace. It's like, what do you find most attractive about a guy when he ignores me? Because it's that thing. It's just like, what have you got to hide? Who are you? Why are you so mysterious? Why can't I get to know you? So it's that confidence that like um, pushes us forward and gives us motion. Um, yeah, I think it, what it means to be human is just authenticity and just being as authentic as you possibly can be. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I started ironically dabbing and now I can't stop. <laughs>